Good evening. Good evening. Good morning. What day? What time is it? What day is it? Where are we? Uh, good to see you here this morning. Uh, good to be back with you after a week away. Uh, definitely missed being here. Missed seeing all of you. I've been uh, trying to catch up on all the Facebook live streams and and. Uh, get a little bit of a taste of, of Tim Stevens and, and learning from him. I really was bummed out whenever I found out that uh, he was going to be here the week that I was going to be gone. That is not ideal, and I will be working around that, uh, if at all possible, in the future. Um, this morning, we're going to be continuing our study on the promises of God, and we're going to be looking at uh, a promise that God has made for us to reign in life. And what does that mean? I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, studying this together with you. Uh, we've been doing this as a kind of a topical series uh, once a month throughout the year. Uh, and we've, we've talked a lot about the different promises that God has made, and God has always been faithful to fulfill the promises that he makes. Uh, and that's, that's so encouraging for us. It's actually, uh, it was so encouraging to me as I was studying all this that I decided to make that what my sermon series was going to be about in the gospel meeting last week. And uh, they, they were encouraged by it and enjoyed it as well. I hope, I hope that this is helpful to you. As we think about uh, the promise uh, that we would reign in life uh, and understanding what does this mean and and how is it that we're supposed to receive this promise, and, and what, what is this all about? I want us to start off by thinking, how much power and how much strength do you have? Uh, do you feel like you could conquer giants? Do you feel like you could uh, walk through fire? Um, do you feel like you could lead an army out into battle? Are you strong enough uh, to endure persecutions and martyrdom and suffering? Is this how you feel, that, that God has given you that much strength that you are strong enough to endure tremendous suffering in God's name? You know, I think a lot of times uh, I've kind of wondered about that uh, and thinking about myself and whether I could do what I, I hear about other people doing. Um, I actually got a book uh, that's about martyrs uh, overseas in the in the Israel and in Iran and Pakistan and all those different areas and all the kind of persecutions and sufferings uh, that Christians are put through uh, in those areas. And I just kind of wonder, am I strong enough? Am I, am I, what, how is it that these men and women are able to do these wonderful feats? I think about uh, those who I know who have suffered greatly. Um, David Hartzell is a name that probably a lot of you know. I actually met his wife and uh, ate with his mother uh, last week. And uh, this is a man who preached the gospel for many years, but he had brain cancer uh, that lasted 17 years before it finally took his life. And the way his wife talks about him is that he never missed a beat. Uh, his faith was strong. He was, uh, in, in her words, like one of the great men of faith we read about in the Bible as he was dealing with a lot of trials uh, that go along with brain cancer. So how is it that a man is able to do that? And why is it that there are so many Christians that we can read about and study about that do all these wonderful things? And, and why is it that I look at myself and I, I just kind of wonder, is that, is that me? How did they do that? Why can't I do that? Why can I do that? How is it that people were able to do that? And whenever we look at the Bible, what we see is that God always intended to make us great, to make us 
uh, strong and powerful. Uh, You go to the very beginning, back in Genesis chapter 1, and you read that God said, "Let let us make man in our image after our likeness, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The very first statements about God creating man are statements of power, that God wanted to give man power, dominion, reign, control over his creation. He didn't just create man as another animal. So many times the world around us feels as though man is just another animal. Uh, We're just like the animals. But no, God created us in his image with power, with dominion over all the creation. And this is the way God had desired for man to live, that he would be the pinnacle of the creation. But we know what happened. Man wanted more. You go to Genesis 3, you see uh, the serpent deceiving them into eating the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, and, And because of that, they were kicked out of the garden. And it seems as though they lost the dominion, the power, the strength, that it was all taken away from them. And then we see God establish Israel. He redeems a special group of people. And what's the purpose behind their redemption but to reign, to rule over all the nations? Deuteronomy 15, 6 tells us they're going to lend to to the nations and they're not going to borrow from the nations. They're going to rule over the nations, but the nations are not going to rule over them. That's what God had planned and designed for Israel to rule and to reign over all the nations, for them to become the greatest nation on the earth. But as we read through the story of Israel, we see they didn't want it. They wanted it, but they thought they could do it on their own. They thought they could do it without God. Hosea tells us that they abandoned God. God said, I kept coming to you. You're my, you're my son. You're, you were a son to me, Israel. And I kept coming to you trying to help you, but you didn't want me. You kept turning away. It says, my people are bent on turning away from me. As much as God tried to help them rise to what he had created them to be, they didn't accept God. They didn't worship God and follow after him. Well, whenever we come into the prophets, we read a promise that God promises to establish Israel as the power, as rulers, as those who are reigning. Uh, In Micah 5.8, we read that uh, he's going to make them lions in the midst of sheep. Like that's the, that's the portrayal of Israel in Micah 5, 8, that God was going to make the remnant of Jacob uh, in, the midst of, uh, in the midst of many people like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of the sheep, which when it goes through, treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver 
He says, your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries and all your enemies shall be cut off. The promise of God is that they would be powerful, that they would dominate their enemies, that they would be in control. Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon that's fashioned against you shall stand, is what God had in store. I could spend hours looking at all the prophecies that tell us God desired to recreate Israel to be powerful, to dominate all of their enemies, and to rule and to reign on the earth. We just finished studying Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, we see one like a son of man taken up into heaven and being given all power and dominion. Verse 13, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples Nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So you see there in Daniel, there's a a plan of God to establish one like a son of man as powerful over all the nations. Well, which is it? Is it Israel or is it just one like a son of man? Is it Jesus is is who that's referring to. Well, notice in chapter 7 that it transitions from talking about Jesus being given all the power and the dominion and the authority, this one like a son of man who comes and is seated at the right hand of God, to talking about us. In verse 18 of Daniel 7, it says, But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. If that wasn't enough, verse 22, until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. In verse 27, the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. The saints is just a reference to those who've been sanctified. Throughout the New Testament, we read that all the Christians are called saints. And what do we see here? But that the saints receive the kingdom, the dominion, the power, the authority. And so there's this promise that's being made to us in the Old Testament, that we would receive power and strength and authority, that even though Jesus is the one lifted up, that somehow the kingdom would belong to us, that we would possess the kingdom. Well, what does all of this mean? And how is all of this fulfilled? We come into the New Testament. We see Jesus arrive on the scene, and he doesn't seem that much interested in power and authority. Uh, You remember Matthew 4, the temptations of of Jesus by Satan, that Satan came to Jesus and he enticed him with all the kingdoms of the earth. He said, if you'll just fall down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth. And Jesus said, no, I'm only going to worship God. And that's what his focus is. 
In John 5, he feeds the 5,000, and then the people want to make him king. And he says no. He gets away from them. He doesn't want the power. He doesn't want the rule. He doesn't want the authority. And we're just left saying, wait, wait a second. You're supposed to be given the power and the authority. You are the one. You are the Messiah. The disciples clearly believed that Jesus should have this power and authority and that they themselves would share in the power and the authority just like what was promised. And they were wanting to be the greatest in the kingdom, to be the most powerful, to be the strongest. And yet Jesus taught them the first will be last, and the last will be first. The greatest among you will be your servant. This is what Jesus was, was telling his disciples, that it's not about seizing power for yourself. It's what the, the religious leaders were doing. They were trying to take the kingdom by force. But Jesus doesn't do that. He just simply serves. He serves God faithfully and he serves others faithfully. And he encourages his disciples to do the same thing. That they're not going to be reigning like men reign. They're not going to be dominating people and overpowering people with force like men commonly do. But there's going to be something that they're going to do is going to be service. That's what's going to be uh, done in the kingdom. Those who are in the kingdom will reign by serving other people. As we continue, uh, you see eventually Jesus is given all authority. In Matthew 28, it says, uh, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So, there's, there's power, there's authority that has been given to Jesus after he dies and after he's crucified and after he's resurrected and lifted up. But what about us? Turn to Matthew 5. Matthew 5, the very first sermon that we have recorded of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, the very first words that come out of Jesus' mouth in that sermon, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he kind of includes, you know, it's an inclusio, verse 10, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, the very first words that came out of Jesus' mouth is, the kingdom of heaven won't belong to me. It will belong to the poor in spirit. It will belong to those who say, wretched man that I am. Those who recognize that they are not worthy, they will be given it all. They will be given the power. They will be given the dominion, the authority, the possession of the kingdom. Jesus has given it, and then he turns around and he wants to give it to everybody else. Okay, so how is it that we reign with Christ? Do you feel like you're reigning right now? <laughs> well, there's a sense in which we're going to reign, okay? And the Bible's very clear about this, that, that the reign is future tense. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Beginning in verse 8. And notice 
how it how Paul is talking in this text and in relation to all the things we just said about uh, the, the last will be first, the first last, the poor in spirit will be uh, the owners of the kingdom. Listen to the way Paul talks. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. Listen to this. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny us. Himself. Now, there's a lot in this text. There's a whole lot we could discuss. This is a whole sermon in this text, okay? But first of all, notice the way Paul thinks about his work. Is he reigning? <laughs> he's in prison, you know? Uh, why would you think he's reigning? No, of course, he's not reigning. He's in prison. But listen to the way he talks. I am suffering, bound in chains as a criminal... But he says the word of God is not bound. There's, there's been no restriction on the preaching of the gospel. And he says, I'm doing everything for the sake of the elect that, I also may, that they also may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here's a, here's a picture of someone who is doing what Jesus did, who is doing what Jesus told his disciples to do. Is he reigning? Notice what he says. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. A picture of things look bad right now. But if I endure, I know I will reign with Christ in the future. So maybe, maybe he's just talking about a future reign. Maybe this whole suffering stuff has nothing to do with him reigning right now. But there is a sense in which there's a future reign here. If we endure, we will reign with Christ. Now, can you imagine that? After we die, we get to be with Christ, and we are then given reign and authority and power. Can you imagine us all being kings and queens in the kingdom and having power and authority over the earth, over people, over something? I don't know, over creation, whatever it is. We will have reign with Christ. We will have power and authority. We will have the privileges of kings and queens in the kingdom. Well, one thing that we'll reign over is angels. It's fascinating, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Do you not know we'll judge the whole world? You know, He's trying to get them to make judgments uh, toward one another and to actually, you know, discern what the will of God is. And he says, do you not know that we will judge angels? So there's a sense in which there is this future reign that is going to happen after we die. And this is a fulfillment of all those Old Testament promises. That's interesting, right? That's, that's interesting. That's something to, to endure for. That's something to look forward to. That not only will we be saved. I mean, a lot of us would probably think, if I just get to you know, sweep the floors in the kingdom, I'm pretty happy with that. But those who endure and remain faithful, he says, will reign, will judge angels. They will be given a place of higher authority than what they might expect. 
So is that, is that what you think? Do you realize that? That heaven is not just going to be a place that you show up and you're just, you're just there. But it's that you will be given the rule, the power, the authority that God has always desired to give to man. But do you realize that there is a sense in which we are reigning right now? And this is talked about quite a lot in the New Testament, that we are reigning. Paul was reigning as he was sitting in his prison cell. He was reigning. In what sense? Well, we reign over sin. We reign over death. And we reign over condemnation by God's grace. You see, the picture is not that we reign over men and, and we get to oppress men and we get to tell men what to do and force men to do what we want to do. The picture is that we're servants. You know, that's not, we're not given the power and the authority in that sense over other men. But there is a sense in which Christ has given us power and authority, rule and reign and dominion over sin, death, and condemnation. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, you have a very interesting comparison between Adam and Jesus. He says uh, that Adam brought death through sin. He brought about death. Remember, they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God said, you'll surely die. They were kicked out of the garden. They had no longer had access to the tree of life. They surely died, just like God said. So he makes this point. Through Adam, through this one man, all of us suffer death. All of us suffer excommunication uh, from God, from the tree of life. We have, we have been uh, ex exiled from the Garden of Eden. But he, he makes this comparison that even though through this one man sin came into the world and then we all sinned and then we all die, there's also Jesus. And he compares him with Jesus to say, through Jesus came life. And this is the free gift of God that you would have life. And I love the way he puts it in verse 17. It's kind of a complicated verse, so uh, think through this for me. Verse 17, he says, For if because of one man's trespass... Death reigned through that one man. That's interesting, right? Not only does he say that we all die because of Adam's sin, but he says death reigned. Death had the power. Death had the dominion. We all served death. We all recognized that death was coming, and we all submitted to death as king. But he says... If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will life reign. No, he says much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. You've got to notice the wording here in this text in order for it to make sense. He changes from personifying death, saying death reigned, to saying we reign in life. Now, that's a very fascinating way of putting it, that, that we reign in life. What does that mean? 
Do you feel like you reign in life right now because of what Jesus has done for you? Well, what that means is clearly laid out, really, in chapter 6 through 8 of Romans. But I just want to give you a little snippet of that. Verse 12 of chapter 6. He says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Notice the terminology. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. As though it's something that's optional. You could either let sin reign or, listen to to how this is stated, do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. You hear what he says here? Because we have been set free in Christ, because we have uh, been given freedom from our sin, freedom from death, because we've received this free gift of God's grace, we now have a choice. We could either choose to let sin reign, we could either choose to present our bodies to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, Or we can choose to present our members to God as instruments for righteousness. Now we have a choice. And we can reign in life by no longer letting sin reign, but instead letting God reign in our life. Letting righteousness be found in us. No longer serving the passions and the desires of our flesh and, and the desires of, that are sinful. But instead choosing to serve God and live a righteous life. God wants us to understand that we don't have to live that way anymore. We don't have to serve sin anymore. If you feel weak and you feel powerless against the temptations, against the trials of your life, understand, God gave his son to set you free from that power. Death and sin no longer have power over you. Every sin that we have committed up until this point is covered under the blood of Christ. It is nailed to the cross. Colossians chapter 2 tells us this very thing. That God has, in in our baptism, cut off the body of flesh. That in our baptism, we were buried with Christ, and we we were buried, we were dead, and we were raised with Christ, having all of our trespasses forgiven by canceling, verse 14, the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. It says, this he set aside nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to an open shame by triumphing over them. You know, the idea that we we serve sin and death is encapsulated in this text. There's this law, this standard that God has for righteousness, this legal demand, For righteousness. 
And we fell short. We didn't do what God had commanded us to do. And so we were indebted to God, and there were requirements upon us to make up for that sin in some way. And yet, we can't. And we fall short, and we fail. And what this text tells us Jesus did is, he took that book full of all of our sins, full of all of those requirements, and he nailed it to the cross, where his blood is. He let his blood run all over that book. And that book still has future sins, has all sins. Every sin that we've ever done is, is constantly being recorded on that book and it's constantly being covered by that blood to allow for forgiveness of those sins. And because he's done that, verse 15 says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to an open shame by triumphing over them. Now what does that mean? Sounds like triumph. Sounds like victory, right? Sounds like we have a, a king who has set us up over rulers and authorities. That's exactly right. We studied, we've been studying about the spiritual warfare we're in on Sunday nights. We'll continue that tonight. And one of the things that I found interesting is the name devil means deceiver. The name Satan means accuser. And that's a really good description of who Satan is and what he does. He deceives us so that he can accuse us, and then he can condemn us. That's what he wants to do. And what this text tells us is, Jesus has taken away his power over us. He has been disarmed. Remember Isaiah 54. No weapon that's fashioned against them will stand. This is what God has done. He has set us up over the, the spiritual forces of wickedness by the offering of his son. That blood cleanses us from all sins. This is pictured for us in another way. In Colossians 3, uh, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. He says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Think about this for a second, this picture. That we were dead in our sins, but because of God's grace, he went ahead and buried us and he resurrected us to make us a new creation. And then he hid us inside of Christ. Well, where is Christ? Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And we're there with Christ, hidden in Christ, seated at the right hand of God. Now think about the power and the authority that is given, that you have at your disposal, hidden with Christ, a part of the body of Christ. You find that same idea stated throughout the book of Ephesians as we've been studying it, that we have been raised with Christ and seated with Christ in the heavenly places, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God has been so gracious and so kind to just forgive us of our sins. It's huge. But what he tells us is he doesn't stop there. He also puts us in Christ, hides us in Christ, so that we're permanently attached to the blood of Jesus, so long as we're living for God, living for Christ, we have access to the blood. And because we are in that position of authority, we rule over the spiritual forces of wickedness 
in the heavenly places. I know this is a lot to take in. I know this is probably things that you haven't really thought of or considered very much, but I want us to, to take a second and take all of this in, the understanding that God desires for us to reign, that God has set us free in Christ to reign over sin, to reign over uh, death, to reign over condemnation, uh, that there is now therefore no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. That because the blood of Jesus has washed away our sins, we don't have to worry about sin anymore. We can just go on living life trying to put away all sin and trying to bear fruit for God. And every, every time we mess up, it's covered by the blood of Jesus. Think about what this means. How should we think about sin? I know that... There's probably a lot of people, as we've been studying throughout the last few years, a uh, couple years, who have been struggling with the sin. And, and that text in Matthew, you know, Jesus just hammers on that sin. And we just look down shamefully, don't we? And I'll just, I'll stand up here and tell you, yeah, that's, that's I'm struggling with that still. Uh, and there's, there's plenty of, of instances like that. Well, how has, how have we changed after seeing that we sin, after understanding our sins, have we given up having power over sin? Is there a sin in our life that we've just accepted and that we just decided is just going to live with us for as long as we live? Well, the picture in the New Testament is we rule over sin. There is no sin that has overtaken us. That's not common to man. And it's not, and I think part of the problem is we tend to approach sin with the same attitude as the world around us approaches all their problems and all their self help books. You want to overcome sin? You need to believe in yourself. Just stop doing it. You can do it. You can stop sinning. It's just you at work. And you can overcome you, and we don't understand. There are spiritual forces of wickedness at play. There is more involved than just me. And so I can believe in myself all I want, but I am not powerful enough, and I need to recognize it because I failed over and over and over and over again. And so we have to come to that realization. I am not strong enough to overcome sin by myself. But, what God has done is he has put us into Christ so that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And we can pray that God would strengthen our inner being, as he says in Ephesians chapter 3, that we would come to a greater understanding of God's power in us and that we would pray for him to work exceedingly, abundantly, beyond what we could even think. And that we would then be strong, not in ourselves, but in the Lord and in the strength of his mind. I know that there's probably a lot of us here who are beaten up by some sins. It's just gone on and on. We feel weak. 
And we make excuses. And we say, well, I'm a human. Humans are sinners. And that's just the way it is. And we just get so discouraged because we fall short over and over and over again. And we just think, well, maybe one day, whenever this life is over, I'll be strong enough and I'll be reigning with Christ and all of that. But you need to understand what this is all telling us. We have more power over temptations and over trials than we realize because we are in Christ. Don't make excuses for your sin. Don't seek to justify your sin. Don't give in to the sin as though it has power over you. It's not true. You're just not fighting the battle with the mindset that God is on your side. That he is here with you and that he can help you overcome whatever the battle is. So I know that a lot of us are struggling, but we can overcome. By God's grace, by his mercy, we can endure whatever kind of suffering may be ahead of us. And we better, we better remain faithful. We better not go on sinning willfully. Because if we go on sinning willfully, there is a promise in Hebrews 10, 26, that there will no longer be a sacrifice for our sins. That that record of debt that has the blood of Jesus all over it will be brought down. And all he needs is one sin that's not covered under that sacrifice. And we'd be worthy of condemnation. So we better love God and love our neighbor. And we better be striving. Not loving sin, not wanting sin to rule in our lives, but striving and desiring to put sin under our feet and overcome the things that we face. And I mean us, we better. Because God expects us to rule and to reign and to shine as lights for his glory. And if you're here this morning and you've not been given the grace of God through the blood of Jesus, you've not received it by responding to the invitation, you've not accepted the blood that covers all of your sins by coming forward and asking for God to forgive you, saying, I'm going to repent, I'm going to serve God now, and receiving the grace of God through the blood of Jesus as you're baptized into Christ. You don't reign. Sin and death have power over you. But it can change today. So don't leave today having sin over you having death to look forward to. Please change. Please come forward as we stand and as we sing.